What's the matter, Dukhan? You, talking and breathing. And last night, all but a corpse. How did you manage that, Connor McLeod? Would you rather I was dead? It's not natural. He's in league with Lucifer. Don't say that, Kate. I'll say it. You've the devil in you. We've been kinsmen 20 years. Connor McLeod was my kinsman. I don't know who you are. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highlander Rewatched. This is part three of our ongoing podcast series discussing the original Highlander motion picture. So, if you haven't heard part one or two yet, just go back in your podcast app or on SoundCloud or wherever you're listening to us and listen to parts one and two of this series. In our first episode, we talk about a lot of behind-the-scenes info on the cast and crew, Connor's fight in Madison Square Garden, and how we got into Highlander. In episode two, we delve into Connor's first battle with the Kurgan, interesting police interrogation techniques, and the beautiful Scottish countryside. I'm one of your rewatchers, Keith. This is Kyle. I'm another one of your rewatchers. And this is Eamon. And this podcast is all about our love of all things Highlander. So make sure to subscribe on iTunes or any other major podcasting app and join us, your rewatchers, as we revisit the Highlander motion pictures, the series, books, comics, video games, and more. Okay, so let's get back into our discussion of Highlander the motion picture. So now we meet the present version of the Kurgan. When he's listening to a radio like broadcast about the decapitation right. at Madison Square Garden. Right. And the, the broadcast says, and this actually makes it into the Queen recording of Give Me the Prize. Which they yeah. actually got Clancy Brown to come back in and record. Like, they didn't take a sample from the movie. They got him in the studio to be like, oh, we want that dialogue That's in awesome. this. Like, that yeah. was very intentional to have this yeah. part of that song. Yeah, but the, the recording goes, I had which at this time has no name. And it's like, we've said the name like 10 times at this point. Yeah. The cop just said it in the scene before this, that it's a Mon Facile. Yep. Well, anyway. Maybe the press doesn't know yet. Yeah. I, we, do, we do know later that the cops have not released all the info to the yeah. press. Mm. And then the Kurgan goes, I know his name. Right. But again, like all these people seem to just know no. each yeah. other. Right. And that's kind of cool. There's like an Encyclopedia Britannica of immortals. Yep. Right. So like they all know each other. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to say two theories I have here. So one, I believe the Kurgan is the one that killed the guy in New Jersey. Well, yeah, he's driving from because New he's Jersey. driving on that side of the bridge. Like he's yeah. coming to New York. So it's like, yeah. Oh, so like the, who killed this guy? Yeah, that it's is, him. that is, yes. I think that's yep. correct. Right. It's in the script too. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. cool. And then the other thing I will posit is at, at the beginning of this movie, there are only four people left. We're, we're not missing any other immortals in this story. Like, because, like, the cops have not brought up any other serial killings. Like, in a different version of the script, they could be like, there's been eight murders, or there's been a dozen murders. You know what I mean? Like, mm. and there are all stories we don't get to hear about, but we just kind of know these battles are going on in New York because that's where the gathering is. It's only ever these four. I think there, huh. there's only four people left, and that's where the gathering is. So that's pretty crazy, I think. 
Yeah. Yeah, especially because the show establishes that the gathering is going on when the show starts. Right. Yeah. And we've already seen him kill 12. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we've already seen Duncan McCloud, as of season one, kill 12 people. And we've, we're aware that more have happened. So Yeah, yeah. Interesting. He's driving over. He puts on tape into the deck, and it's "Give Me the Prize" by Queen, which rocks. Which is it's fucking an awesome. amazing song. It's I really love that good. song. Yeah. Um, so, as a former musicologist, I was getting into like the musical stuff in this movie because I think it's I think it's really good. Actually, and we didn't even mention in our intro like Michael Kamen. Michael Kamen, who did the yeah. score, and we'll, we'll talk about him a little more when the, the score and, becomes a little more prevalent. What company is the theme from this? Their New Line Cinema. That's New Line, which which did Ninja Turtles to loop it all back around. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the beginning. I remember playing that VHS all the time when I was a kid, and the the Highlander theme was the opening to Ninja Turtles, essentially, because it's the New Line Cinema logo coming on the screen. The Highlander theme has gotten good, good mileage out of it. Which, to be clear, we kind of described uh, Princes of the Universe as the Highlander theme earlier. Now we're talking about the scored music. The orchestral, right. The Uh, orchestral theme that accompanies McCloud. Right. So, interesting musical stuff happening here. I did notice that a lot of the Queen music incorporates one very specific element from Princes of the Universe, which is, as far as, like, if you hear Freddie Mercury talk about it, like, they all consider Princes of the Universe to be the Highlander theme. Uh, There's this chromatic guitar riff that you hear in... Princess, you know, which chromatic is half steps half steps right uh that exists in this song and it also exists in some other ones too like there's this element that so that, that ends up being kind of this like little musical thread that mm-hmm. queen is like connected their songs with it's like oh there's a this this is all part of the same sort of kind of musical universe as it were mm-hmm. uh, which i thought was really cool but also the princess of the musical universe <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing that i thought was interesting just about this song give me the prize the lyrics of it it's like i'm the master of your destiny which is like an interesting like this this kind of fatalism that exists within this thing like predetermined um but also one of the big lines of it is is i am especially it's interesting because the kurgan is playing it at this point which is <laughs> is uh i am the god of kingdom come is a lyric like there's there's multiple religious references in uh, like in the queen music which i think is kind of interesting adding again to uh, like a, a christian interpretation of this movie hmm. just want to bring that up food for thought food for thought so then he goes to just check into a, a hotel and basically a guy who looks sort of like ed norton with herpes yeah. like, <laughs> this, this guy yeah. has visible cold sores yeah that's a big old herp on his face <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with his like Old black sidekick? Yeah. I don't yeah. know what that's all about. <laughs> I told you not to talk to the guests. <laughs> <laughs> so he like gets admitted. Obviously, like the Kurgan's loaded for some reason. So let's talk about the Kurgan for a minute. So he's like what? He looks seven feet tall. I'm sure he's not, but this is one big dude. Yeah. And he's like a punk rocker. Yeah. And it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Right. And again, I think that's that's another testament to the times that like how did they paint him as a villain? And it's like they yeah. give him this like punk rock and roll persona which also i think accompanies like the music like there's this queen element right and also like the give me the prize song is very like it's a little more heavy metal like if you were to kind of dissect all the queen songs it's like some are a little more like easy listening like one year of love which is played at one point is a little mm-hmm. more like motowny sort of song uh, but then this song is like real heavy this guy's like a rock and roll dude but then all the uh flashback stuff is all orchestral yeah. Um, so, like, there's this dichotomy of, like, rock and rolling instrumental classical music, uh, hmm. which is neat. One thing I wanted to say about this Kurgan, 1986 Kurgan, is Clancy Brown's thoughts on the character. Um, yeah. So he says, this is a quote I read from an interview. The, Kur- the Kurgan is in a heavy metal sort of getup. 
Wouldn't it be interesting if you wore a business suit and bowler hat? That's scary. You expect a heavy metal punker with skulls on his jacket to be a badass, but the really tough, mean, and nasty people don't necessarily wear clothes like that and look like that. So there was a chance to make a real statement, but I think the whole idea was to stay away from statements and just tell a good guy, bad guy story. Mm. Well, that also would have been especially interesting in the context of the 80s, because, like, you're still in this super intense Cold War mentality. This is, like, the era of greed is good, like, Gordon Gecko, Wall Street, give me the money, give me the coke, give me the women. Like, mm? this is the era of that. So that might have actually been an interesting take on it in this time period specifically. Well, speaking to that, uh, I mean, we haven't talked about, like, the Kurgan's backstory, which is not really, like, laid out in this. It's laid out in the novel. Uh, and it's laid out, I guess Ramirez kind of gives an overview of who he is right. later, you know, like at 20 minutes from now. But I think yeah. it's, it's very interesting. So the Kurgan is Russian. Which I thought was meaningful in this period. Exactly. Like, like you're this, still, is 19, this is the Cold War. Like, of course the villain is Russian. Like, what else would he be? You're still living under the threat of global thermonuclear war. Right. Like... The same way, like, early 2000s movies, all the villains were terrorists. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, because that's something that America was dealing with at the time. So the villains in the films kind of reflected what our real-life adversary was. Yeah, it is interesting. And part of the, like, reason for this materialism in the 80s is because, like, you're living in this world in which the Earth could end. Like, which is also an interesting thing, I think, about the prize. Like, I feel like part of what defines the 80s is, like, this materialism that develops... When you're in a world in which, like, the entire eastern seaboard of the United States could cease to be at some mm-hmm. point. And, like, that was, like, a fear and a stress that people lived with in this period. And, like, meanwhile, during this, you have, like, this supernatural struggle between two superpowers, Connor and the Kurgan, going on at the same time. You know, he kind of, the Kurgan in some ways, repre- if he was, again, especially if he was in, like, a suit and a bowler hat, like... He kind of represents this one way of coping with it, Mm -hmm. which is to embrace this kind of fatalistic materialism and and run with it. So then the Kurgan puts together his clip together sword, yep, which is (laughs) so awesome and like utterly unrealistic. But I don't care because it's that awesome. The first time I watched this, this sword made me angry. And now I think it's awesome. Like, <laughs> the first time I saw it, I was like, all right, so if you're in an intense sword fight, there's no way this thing's holding together. Not a chance. Yeah. Like, it's going to fall apart. Like, there's a reason why a sword is one piece. Yep. Right. But it's, like, so cool when he's putting it together. And this is a cool, like, training montage. I also like the the idea of, like, the, the sword is mechanical in a way. And I think mm. there's I think there's an element to that we'll get into later, like, as we learn about connor a little more there's like this kind of nature versus this this thing that's like artificial or built you know what i mean like uh that's that's a theme that's in a lot of literature and movies uh that you can see like i mean like lord of the rings is a lord of the thing. rings star wars yeah, they all have this they all have that, that that sort yeah. of concept of like th- like he has to put together this thing like it, it's got moving parts to it uh so i, th- I think that's a, a compelling antithesis of what connor could be. Hi, I'm Candy. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> also, the- <laughs> <laughs> um, also this scene when he like puts it together, like it's a little like mini montage of him yeah. like, clipping it together and then like training or exercising with it, with yeah. which he like spins it around. Yep, <laughs> it's kind of cool. I don't know. I have no idea what he's it's doing. Yeah, it's, it's cool. 
I like yeah, it. Fine. It looks cool. It looks menacing. Yeah. Like he he's very effective in this role, even though it sounds like he wishes it was more Clancy Brown, I yeah. mean. Uh he's great. Um I mean, I'm not prepared to say this is a deep character, but no. I'm very prepared to say he acts the shit out of it. Yeah. So yeah. like So this this little scene where yeah. he like spins the sword around, that was choreographed by the guy that choreographed Starlight Express, which is, if uh, you don't know... The Andrew Lloyd Webber? The Andrew Lloyd Webber musical where people go around on roller skates uh, for the whole thing. It's ridiculous. Uh, Anyway... He uh, did some music videos as well with Russell, and so he came in and choreographed this like sword montage, which huh. I thought was crazy. Yeah. Also, uh, something we didn't mention earlier, I don't know, I, I, I was trying to find like some info on this, is how they arrived at his alias of Russell Nash, because the director's name is Russell McKay. And I was like, oh, did they name the main character after the director? Or did mm. that come pr- previously? Mm. No idea. Who knows? Yeah, I oh, can't but remember. Just the, the Shadow part- Knows, dress- mm. directed by Russell McKay. I love that movie. You uh, did The Shadow? Yeah. I like great, that movie, too. It's a really good movie. And yeah. Honestly, all right. So let's... Starring Alec Baldwin yeah. as People's... the old-timey superhero, The Shadow. Yeah. People so, shit on that movie. I, I think it's really good. It's, it is really good. I yeah. watched it, like, maybe a month ago. It has a lot... Like, if you like Highlander, I think you'll like that. Like, it has a lot of, like, that same directing flair. Also, glass exploding all over the mm-hmm. place. Like, like crazy. Like crazy. Yeah. Um, also, no. an, an amazing score in The Shadow. Like, yeah. It's good. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's a good movie. And I think it's, like... Maybe a better made movie, like a little bit better than like Highlander is. Like, well, it's got a higher budget. Higher budget, yeah. like, uh, but it has Alec Baldwin, who's great. Ian mm-hmm. McKellen. Uh, mm-hmm. It has Jonathan Winters, who I love. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Tim Curry. <laughs> Tim I don't know. Curry. Watch, yeah. watch the Shadow. It's great. But I'll bring, I'll bring that Shadow up a little bit more later. Who knows? The Shadow knows. Peter Boyle is also. Oh, in that Peter movie. Boyle's. Yeah. yeah, the taxi driver. Mm-hmm. Mm, it's very, very good. good. So anyway, moving on from the uh, the scene in the hotel where if you need broads blow. Just dial out to the clerk, <laughs> says Herpes Ed Norton. Right. That's right. Uh, so now we're back in the police lab, and Brenda gets, like, shards of metal delivered by some doofus. Like, <laughs> some this yeah. guy, some lab goon, shows up with <laughs> these shards of metal from, like, the body, I guess. You want these shards of metal? <laughs> Uh, so she does, like, a test on it through, like, this is, like, the first instance of, like, computer magic in this movie. And there's, like, a computer printout, and it's, like, a bunch of numbers, and it's, like, absorbent. Like, none of this makes any sense at all. <laughs> but I guess it dates the sword back to, like, She 600. carbon dates it, I guess. Yeah, I think that's what this is. Omicron. Oh, that's a Greek letter. <laughs> How many members of this fraternity are in the Seacouver area? Right. So I guess this is the, kind of essentially the beginning or, or the first steps in this, like, police yeah. story. So, like, there, there's a couple stories going on. Like, we've got mm-hmm. this, like, Connor story, and then there, there's this thread, which is, like, a police invest. Like, this is the mm-hmm. mystery story. Right. We are back now at the Madison Square Garden garage. Presumably it's maybe, like, the next day or whatever. And Connor is there with a lighter, and he's trying – I guess he's there to retrieve his sword. So he gets it, uh, but then Brenda, I guess, shows up, and she's looking for extra evidence. Um, so mm-hmm. she ends up recovering a piece of metal from a column. It's, it's the same from column. that pillar. Yeah. Yes, yeah. from the pillar that Connor got his yep. sword stuck in. And she has, like, a metal detector right. that she's, like, looking for this metal with. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. If you're a Highlander fan like we are, you probably have some pretty cool Highlander swag from back in the good old Highlander heydays. But did you know there are brand new Highlander sword replicas available through the official Highlander Facebook page? 
Head over to the official Highlander Facebook page for beautiful, high-quality replicas of Duncan McLeod's Musashi Samurai Sword, or check out Connor McLeod's beautiful Genai Samurai. Handles are made with a nearly unbreakable Kevlar carbon compound and are complete with all the detail you remember from the Highlander film and television series. The handmade katana blades were created using high-carbon steel. The blades are heat-tempered, then water-quenched for a consistent hardness, and then adorned with a Hammond-tempered line to create a truly awesome display sword and tribute to the Highlander franchise. Stop on by the official Highlander Facebook page to order your Highlander swords today. So now we go to the bar. Right. Yeah. So they end up at P- Peter McManus's bar, which is a real bar in Chelsea. Oh, so we should say she knows somebody's in the garage with her. Yeah, she and hears she, like a can. Like rustle. hightails it out of there. Right. Yeah, and it's it's Mac. So she hightails it out of there to this bar. Right. And then I guess he follows her there because he's a creeper. Yeah. And to Kyle's point, like this sequence makes me really question Connor's character because uh, this is yeah. This made me really uncomfortable. And I'm like, what am I supposed to think of this guy? Like, So I know she goes, she like orders a glass of rosé or something. I'm not really sure what she's drinking. In the script, yeah. it's, in the script it's vodka. It's not. It's, it's not in this. It's yeah. not served in either of those glasses. Rosé would not be served in that glass. Or <laughs> yeah. I, or maybe she's supposed to be drinking brandy because Connor brings her brandy later. Maybe. But that she just orders the usual. Brandy, yeah. 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 So she starts drinking this tall glass of brandy when Mac walks in. Yep. Right. It also should be noted that uh, there's another Queen song playing, which is One Year of Love, uh. um, which I, I like this song a lot. It's it's We mentioned this a little earlier. It's kind of got that doo sort of Motown 50s vibe to it. Um, I think it was written by the drummer. Although it, this song kind of got shafted in this movie, uh, it's not supposed to be in this place like first off it's just background music like it's not the soundtrack you know what i mean like uh it's just playing kind of on the jukebox or whatever but like the entire point of the song is about like one year of love is better than a lifetime alone and the song is written for the scene where connor decides it's okay to fall in love with brenda Mm. and they felt like they had too much music and it wouldn't fit and so they kind of like just stuck this cue in the bar scene like which sucks because there's this song has like its dark mirror which is who wants to live forever right which is like this whole song with the opposite thesis that mm-hmm. you know living forever is pain and the the cost of living alone effectively in the context of the scene the song is about you know don't form these attachments because the pain that you'll feel later isn't worth it right whereas this song is the mirror to that you know it's better it's worth paying the price to have like love for a moment even if you suffer for it later so that's like a great mirroring mm-hmm. so it really does get shafted yeah it, it, yeah. it does get shafted in this place so they have this odd conversation together calling it a conversation is loose. <laughs> yeah. they have a series of things they say to yeah. each other in the in each other's direction so, to talk about this guy so she orders her drink and she seems to have a rapport with the bartender because she is a usual here mm-hmm. and then in walks mac and he goes double glen morangy on the rocks i wouldn't drink this necessarily on the rocks so but. it should be noted that the three of us kyle Eamon and i are all cheers everybody we cheers. are all we are all drinking not that for the sound effects album. Uh, we are uh, all drinking Glen Morangy. Uh, or if you're from Philadelphia, you would pronounce it Glen Morangy. Morangy. Glen Morangy. That is how I pronounced it. Exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I pronounced it that way for a long time. Yeah. I think that's our accent here. Uh, I don't know if I'm prepared to say that Christopher Lambert is saying it right. 
I'm oh. not. I'm not invested enough to look up like the perfect Scottish pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. but. Do we want to talk about Scotch drinking? Because I know yes. people people do talk about this. Like I've seen this on message boards online. Like this Scotch order he delivers is nuts. I don't know if I completely agree with that. I mean, we're all drinking scotch right now. We're all drinking it neat, which in the alcoholic world, which we all are, neat just means without anything. No ice. Just no put water, it in a glass. No mixers. It's just what it is. Uh, I think this is perfectly fine to drink that way. Do you guys have opinions on whiskey or scotch? I say you drink it neat. Maybe if you're going to, he orders it on the rocks. I would yes. say one rock tops and then get your fingers wet and put a dr- few drips of water in it. That sounds good. I'm, I'm okay. Like it depends on my mood. Like if I want rocks in there and usually it's like not cr- like not little ice cubes like a big piece of ice that will melt very slowly. Amen, what are your thoughts? I'm from the school of drinking that I'll drink whatever you hand me. Mm. So I, I, I'm not much of a connoisseur, so I don't have much input into this. Explains the amount of ball sweat you've drank. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> nope, that was a... Uh, I lobbed that one. <laughs> but you're driving towards a point. What's... Well, I know a lot of people say, like, as a Scotsman, this is, like, sacrilege, that he has mm. drank this on the rocks. I don't know if I really am completely... I mean, maybe I'm the outlier here, but it's like, whatever, man. Like, if he wants to drink it on the rocks, I'm fine with that. You know, I I, I actually... I mean, not being from Scotland... I, actually, if there's any Scottish people out there that would say, like, if, if this is definitely, like, a big, like, social faux pas to order it this way, let us know. Also, maybe Connor, you know, he's been alive for a while. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he likes it on the rocks now. <laughs> Maybe he's just trying to get hammered to forget the horror of the th- hundreds of years he's lived. I don't know. Yeah. And then he just shouts over at her, go to Madison Square Garden much. Isn't that it? Yeah. Yep. Which so, is where she just was. So yeah, that's so- And then she goes, what? What'd you just say to me? And walks over to him and like stands next to him and he goes, Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Do you go there often? And she's like, "Do you have you been following me?" Answer is yes, yes. I yes, we are follow. I followed you here moments ago, and he just follows up by saying, "I'd like to walk you home, Brenda." But he's like, "I'd like to walk you home, Brenda." It's like, it's some creepy ass shit. And he also alludes to seeing wrestling matches there. So like basketball wrestling. Yeah. What is his goal here? What is the point of this confrontation? Because he's intimidating her. Oh, absolutely. Like, like, is that the point that he's trying to scare her off his trail? Like, she, he knows that she was there to yeah. investigate this thing? Presumably, yeah. I mean, he would have to assume that she's with the police, because who else is there at... With like, a metal detector. Like, with a metal yeah. detector at 9 o'clock at night. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, maybe it is to scare her off. But at the same time, by scaring her off, he has, like, positively ID'd himself, like, yep. as yeah. a person of interest in this. Like, who already was a person of interest, and he's, like, further confirming. Yeah. Also, this is just really creepy and not heroic or good. (laughs) He's intimidating this alone woman at a bar. And this is the sexiest man in movies at this time. It's also worth noting Sean Connery is literally in this movie. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, I've been I've been trying I've been doing some sleuthing. Actually, last night I watched about twenty to thirty Russell McCahey music videos. In the background, off the show, you guys have to check this out if you haven't noticed it. In the background of this bar scene, there is a TV hanging from the ceiling. Uh-huh. And it is playing something. Uh it appears to be a music video. My guess is it's a music video. Uh, only because of the director, and it seems like it involves someone playing a piano, and it looks like someone playing drums. Uh, it is going about ten times the correct speed. It is flying by. Like, so they have, like, inserted a video into the TV, like, on the film, 
and it is lightning speed. It's wow. and once you see it, you will not be able to unsee it. It is so distracting. Like every time I tried to look at Connor and Brenda, my eyes just kept going to the side where all this stuff is flashing and flickering and piano fingers are going. It's piano crazy. Piano fingers. So anyone out there who has not noticed this odd background element, check out the bar scene in Highlander for the most baffling like weird thing in the background i didn't notice it did you notice it that's nope. crazy yeah i gotta watch it <laughs> and i was really hoping to like find the music video sadly i couldn't turn it up i was going through a lot of elton john stuff because i was hoping that it was going to be one of his but because of the piano stuff whatever's Boop. oh so then she follows him out of the bar like she leaves but like lies in wait for him to go the tables are turned yeah mm-hmm. so he gets basically ambushed by the kurgan Right. But she sticks her nose in this. And for some reason, he does not have his sword. Despite just going to get it. Yeah. I, wanted I don't to, know where his sword yeah, is. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this. He tucks it in his coat when he hides from Brenda. Like, that happens on the film. So he should have it. But, yeah, the Kurgan launches his assault on him. And he fights him off with the second pipe of the movie. Right. Yeah. Um, also, I have no idea where the Kurgan comes from because he literally emerges from yeah. below where the camera is. Like <laughs> he was ducking. swimming in the concrete yeah, and the just suit- like was like, ta-da! Yeah. Maybe he was in the mom. Yeah. <laughs> in the script, though, an interesting thing about the script: it says that the Kurgan attacks McCloud so fiercely and quickly that McCloud doesn't have time to draw his sword. Ah. So that's the script's excuse for why they aren't sword fighting in this scene. In the context of the shot, though. It doesn't work. He definitely has enough time if yeah, he and wanted he should, to take that sword And he should out. have his sword. Because uh, after this scene, when he goes back to the antique shop, his sword is on him. Right. So what happened to it? Yeah. I, I also think it's funny that... Pipe like, man begins. Yeah. <laughs> Brenda is following him, and he, like, sneaks into an alley and, like, ambushes her. Like, yeah. And he drags her, like, into the alley. Mm-hmm. Like, he puts her in more danger by doing that. Like, no... She's no, I just well, he doesn't really take her anywhere. She rounds the corner, he pulls her towards him, correct, and is like, What are you doing? Well, I was just gonna say that if if he had not done that, there's a good chance because he like ducked into that alley, she might have just kept going and she would have missed this whole Kurgan extravaganza. So he like maybe he's drawing her closer to the uh, the danger. And this thing, he doesn't necessarily have a directional spidey sense, correct? So maybe she would have just walked straight into the Kurgan. That's very possible. yeah. So and he is, doesn't necessarily know it's the Kurgan. Yeah. yeah. So uh, this fight is, I think, I, I think it's a pretty good fight. This is uh, awesome. It's yeah. cool. Uh, also, according to the director's commentary, they co- they filmed all of this in two hours. Wow. Which what? is crazy because also we just talked about the fight with Fazil in Madison yeah. Square Garden or the fruit stand, mm-hmm. uh, which took eight days to film. Damn. And this is like roughly, maybe a little shorter, I yeah. guess. But it's it's still like a, a fully fledged yeah it's good there's battle. some good weird locations like pipes and like weird spooky blue I hallways love when, when connor yeah. gets the pipe i love the sound design like he yeah. goes to town on the kurgan like mm-hmm. back and forth it's like thud 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 it's like this is awesome at first i think connor does pretty well in this fight and then does really shitty like <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's a, back again that he's not that much of a badass yeah yeah. And also, this is like the only, I think this is only like the second moment of him being kind of a smartass where it's like, good to see you again. And he like is getting beaten. He's like, good yeah. to see you too. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to talk about that. That's different in the script too. Like, he says, good to see you again, McLeod. And McLeod like insults him or something. But I thought that was funny that they changed that to where he's like, good to see you. And then he like gets punched or something. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that is kind of like Connor is, yeah, like rascally, like yeah. you said. Yeah. Like, so just to pause on that line though 
Good to see you again, McLeod. Again as in, I saw you 400 years ago that time I stabbed you and we didn't speak? Is that the last time they've seen each other? I, is there supposed to be? I feel like they've clashed a few times. I don't know why. That's I feel or that no. way. It's, I, they don't encounter each other again. I think you're right because of their dialogue in the church later. Yeah. I almost would have liked if there had been another, like a flashback to them having another confrontation. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like they're rivals necessarily like they're painted as these opposite ends of a coin but it looks like they had a coincidental meeting 400 years ago and it just so happens they're the only ones left right they don't seem bound together in any way Mm -hmm. they're right another uh, at least just just one that would be all you need and maybe a little bit more character building about like why they're fighting each other and like you know knowing that they're opposite sides of a coin would be helpful yeah because we also get this flashback coming up where we are now but we have this flashback to him during World War II, kind of randomly. Mm-hmm. Would have been nice. I, I kind of would have enjoyed it if the Kurgan was involved in that in some way. Kurgan Just something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, first off, I have zero problems believing Kurgan's a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> Second off, something to make it seem like this is a battle they're having through time. Yeah. Because right. yeah, yeah, this, this is two unrelated meetings. Totally. But if it's yeah. like, you know, there's this narrative of them fighting. and Also... You know, that they remember each other so well after so long. I mean, the Kurgan. Yeah, like this I mean, is an important thing for him. Like, yeah, mm. yeah. I felt like the Kurgan was invested in killing McLeod specifically. Yeah, I guess McLeod has reasons to hate the Kurgan, but I don't know if the shoes necessarily on the other foot. I don't know. I would have enjoyed something to make me buy into the animosity between them a little more. Totally. Yeah. So uh, a police chopper shows up. With the biggest weenie ever. Oh, well, the guy's just like, put down your weapons and remain where you are. Hey, where are you going? (laughs) Hey, wait a minute. (laughs) Hey, hey. It's like, aren't you armed? Aren't you supposed to, like, try to stop them? And they just walk away. And who is the biggest weenie ever? But Bill Panzer, producer of Highlander, Whoa. <laughs> delivers that line. <laughs> uh, that is not him acting in the uh, chopper, but they did a voiceover. And so that is uh, the executive producer, Bill Panzer, and one of the uh, creative driving forces behind the series, delivering the line, What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, BP. But like, Rest in peace, also. Yeah. It's just like, why isn't there... There's like no action on this. Like, Yeah. They, but they show too much of the cop. Like, they show too much of this guy for him to not have a genuine response. Right. Because they just walk away and it's like, no backup is called. It's not a yeah. thing. Yeah. Also, he's in a chopper. Like, you can follow them virtually like, anywhere. anywhere. Yeah. Like, the, yeah. like, it's hard to get away. Yeah. You have uh, a giant spot. You can follow one of them right. very effectively. Yep. So, yeah, they, they just needed clearly some way. They were like, well, we need to have them be reacquainted with each other before the big battle. Yep. Why don't we play a clip of, I think this is a, a nice bit of character building for Connor and gives a, a theme for the movie a little bit. Stop! Who in the name of God was that? I called you Highlander. What did I mean? There can only be one. Only one what? Listen, lady, you almost... I want to know... Shut up! Don't you ever follow me again. You only have one life. You value it. Go home. So this is kind of setting up some of the things introduced in this movie, I guess, so us viewers can feel like we are headed in a direction, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this could be a big theme in the movie, this this idea of like having one, one, one life. And also, like, this is the first time I think we see Connor doing a good thing, like valuing someone's life. <laughs> <laughs> he just says, go home. Yeah. Like... I don't know he that her saying leave is not necessarily an act of heroism. It's <laughs> like a villain in this ha- case is like, 
stick around, see what happens. Like, right. So out of this scene, we get a, another flashback, uh, which is the transition is a uh, like a, a truck driving by, uh, which creates like a blackout. Uh, right. And then we're in kind of like a bar tavern sort mm-hmm. of scene. And again, I was trying to figure out, it's like, oh, is this supposed to mirror the other bar scene? Like, oh, Connor right. was in the bar with Brenda. Yeah. Now we're definitely in, maybe it's not a bar official sort of thing, but like. It's like, it's supposed to be a pub. And, yeah, it's, it's supposed like a pub to be a pub. Sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. people are drinking here. We see all of like Connor's kin talking about him. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got Kate's there, Angus, Dougal, Cousin Dougal. And they're all talking about what they've seen with connor which is that he died and is somehow back to life and she thinks he has the devil in him right and she's like getting some weird pleasure out of the whole thing yeah, yeah. she, she turns really turns it on so yeah he yeah. shows he comes to the bar and he's like hey friends i'm back yeah. like and no one is really glad to see him because they think something is afoot here yeah. like, like he should not be back she and Dougal are really against him. Yeah. And Angus is kind of... He's a little more neutral. He, yeah. yeah. So she breaks like a bottle on his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they cut to like this this kind of like banishment scene outside where yeah. people are stoning him. Also, this entire scene is cut as well from the American... Or not entire scene. Por- portions of this scene. The like, scene where he gets headbutted like six times yes. by a crazy yeah. person yeah. is cut. Uh, so they make it like less violent. Um, I don't know if I disagree with that or not uh i think the the extremities of this makes it like more powerful you know like the pain he had to suffer again he is now has a piece of wood strap behind him like there's more crucifix imagery like he is a bloodied man on what appears to be like a cross like he's in a crucifix stance uh so we get this kind of imagery of of him as a martyr can you walk i can bloody well walk out of here Terrible, terrible. Yeah. Nice. Don't ever do that again, Keith. Ever, <laughs> ever try to do a Scottish impression on this show. Sorry. So Angus saves him by saying, like, instead of the crowd wants to burn him, especially yeah. Kate is way into burning him. She <laughs> is like wet over trying to burn him. It's like <laughs> she wants to do that like more than she's more excited about burning him than like kissing him when he was leaving for battle. Like. <laughs> So Angus kind of steps and says, whoa, 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 or we'll, or we'll banish him. We won't burn him. Right. And he, like, saves his life, and he's able to leave. Uh, so he, he leaves the, the little village, and uh, then we get, a, a, I think, a really another really great dissolve into the present. Connor kind of rests himself on a rock, uh, and then it dissolves into a painting of the, a, a mural of the Mona Lisa. Who looks high. She has she, red eyes. Yeah, she's got very red eyes. Yes. She's blazed out of so, her mind. Uh, apparently this was, like, filmed backwards, uh, so... They, sh- they found that mural in New York City. It's in Chelsea as well. And they thought it was really cool. So they shot that first when they were in New York. And then when they were back in Scotland, they filmed just a little scene where Connor like leaned against the rock so they could transition back to that. So this wasn't planned. It was like backwards engineered, essentially. Uh, it's an interesting mural uh, by Stefano Castronova. Uh, hmm. I don't believe it's there anymore. Oh. Uh, sadly, it was on the side of a restaurant called the... Uh, Mona Lisa. <laughs> but yeah, he actually was kind of like a famous Italian artist at the time, like for doing these sort of like controversial murals. Like he had two Mona Lisa ones, I believe, in New York. So why did they come back to the future? They come back to the future. They show the high Mona Lisa. He goes home to his like sweet loft that has a treasure room in it. And he kind of sits back on. I actually think he sits back on Ramirez's tunic thing. Like, is on his chair, and he, like, sits on So, we haven't talked about this room. So, he goes into his apartment, which is, like, this totally sweet, awesome place. Like, Loft, it's like, yes. It's this, yes. Badass. The, the, the best place you could ever live in New York. 
Uh, Black leather couches. (laughs) So he's got like this crazy special secret room thing. It's like hexagonal. Uh, I know that in the commentary, like the people involved call it the silver room. I don't know what that means, but it's the silver room. Um, But it's this kind of very special, like kind of little place uh, at the heart of his apartment. And then it cuts back to the past. And that's it. Yeah. Nothing else happens in the future. really weird. It shows him go home and then it goes back to the past. I don't know why this was here. Like, what was the point? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I liked a lot of the shots. I thought there were some cool shots, but, like... Yeah, I'm curious if there was any more... Was something supposed to this? happen? It, like, the ball stays exactly where it was. Yeah. And then it's it goes back. I, I, think think that, I think they were just, like, gun-shy about being in the past too much, and they needed a way to get from him being banished to now we're in the past, and he's, like, reestablished himself on, like... That could be just, that, like, uh, like, the way you would have an establishing shot for something. It's like, oh, let's just put the establishing shot in the present instead of the past. Yeah. Like, it was... like it's like, we just need to skip some time, so we put a, a, a blank shot in somewhere. Well, he's like, at home, and then he's at home in the past flashback. That's I don't true. know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I just don't quite understand what the... It's weird. It, yeah. It felt like filler to me. Yeah. Right. Despite liking elements of it. Yeah, the room is cool. Yeah, and I like but, that idea, and the TV show picks up on that, too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, uh, But yeah, they're, they're definitely surrounded by kind of their history, which is cool. Yeah, yeah but it's like 80 seconds. Yeah. And nothing That's true. plot-wise yeah. happens. Okay, so every Tuesday morning, I wake up, I'm ready to go to work, I get ready to listen to Highlander Rewatch Podcast, I go to Facebook, I click on the SoundCloud link, then I listen to the SoundCloud Podcast. I don't have time for this. It's time to go to work. How can we save time, Keith? Yeah, you can just go to whatever podcast app you're using and click subscribe. So what happens then? It saves you 30 seconds every time you want to listen to the podcast, but you get updates each and every week, letting you know when there's new Highlander Rewatch content to listen to. So you mean in a whole year, I can save 26 minutes? Absolutely. That's enough time to watch an entire half hour primetime TV show. Or some of a Highlander episode that you've already seen before. (laughs) (laughs) We're dicks. I know. So we find ourselves in Scotland again, and McLeod's doing some, what, blacksmithing? Yeah, uh, it's like he's at like a forge. I guess that's what this place is. He's yeah. making a horseshoe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he has a new setup here. It looks pretty nice. He has like a weird castle thing. Yeah, did he build that castle? I was kind of curious. About I have that. no idea. Maybe was, it's No, he did not build that castle. Because <laughs> also he doesn't rebuild it. They live there for like 80 more years, and he doesn't rebuild this castle so when it's destroyed. He stumbled upon a castle. Abandoned yeah. castle. <laughs> yep. Which is awesome. I want to live in an abandoned castle, but fine. Right. Yeah. It's kind of a real place. Uh, so <laughs> they built, like, those exterior huts and stuff. This is actually really interesting. So, uh, like, I guess is it's it? like... <laughs> uh, so outside there there are like some like sheds or what like where his like little blacksmithing thing is that's apart mm-hmm. from the castle that they built there uh the castle is kind of there although it's only a third of the size like it's already was kind of in ruins the first half or first third of the castle is real the rest is a matte painting which is really cool since we're in the digital age if you don't know what a matte painting is that was kind of the way they did film effects like special effects uh back in the day which involves like essentially painting a uh, like painting on glass uh and then overlaying that on the film so you could add a background and a million a million movies use this technique 
It's ye olde green screen, basically. Basically, right. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually, I think it's great. I, I love, like, you can't beat a good matte painting. Yeah, I don't you can't. think, like, digital stuff doesn't come close to, like, the warmth and, like, I think even, like, realism of a matte painting. Like, uh, it, it, I shouldn't even say realism, but, like, hyper, like, it, 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 it gives this, like, beautiful quality to a movie, I think. Yeah. It's more tactile than green screen stuff. Like, a lot of times when you see, especially in that trans- transition period where green, where, CG technology is starting to become really prevalent, but people haven't quite nailed it yet. Like when you see like the old Matrix movie or like the Ang Lee Hulk is a big offender of this where like things feel really artificial. Yeah, there's like like a spatial problem. Yeah. These feel really like warm and tactile. Yeah. And that's something that's hard to replace yeah so anyway this this the the rest of the castle is essentially painted on top the real set and looks fantastic and it looks great yeah Uh, but the other thing that's really interesting is this is filmed in a place i believe called the queen's cairn and it was a place that queen victoria visited in 1783 uh and had like a picnic there and this is considered a sacred place like there are these very big rocks there uh which i guess you see them kind of picnicking around at one point anyway uh they were told of course by the government like hey you cannot like mess with any of the stuff here like this is a historical site don't fuck around with this and they were like okay we'll do that and so then they just like brought in like cranes and moved the rocks and built the set on top of where they shouldn't have built it and they were like oh we film real quick and then we'll move it all back so this is like real down and dirty filmmaking uh on top of what would be Holy ground, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is something no immortal would ever uh, defile. <laughs> uh, yipes. Yep. I thought that was pretty good. So now we get to meet... So he's making horseshoes and stuff. So. Yeah, he's making horseshoes and stuff. We get to meet his new wife, Heather. Heather. She's got pie and ale for him. Mm-hmm. And, and she's, she's a lovely, happy-seeming sort. Yeah. She seems much better than his old boo. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's played by uh, Beatty Edney. Uh, she's a British actress. Uh, she's absolutely beautiful in this, I think. Yeah, well, I think she, she is. Pretty lady. Mm-hmm. Um, she's gone on to do a lot of like kind of TV stuff, uh, a lot of producing work. But uh, actually, I wanted to comment on the music here. Uh, this is, I think, the first time we we get a, a, a sense of like the Highlander score. Aside from, I guess, maybe the, the battle scene has a little mm-hmm. kind of like battle music uh but i i find it it's it's kind of just background stuff uh it's not really recognizable but i find this music just to have like that highlander flavor to it um but something that's interesting so it, it opens it's all just a violin playing um but they're 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 playing basically just like the open strings of a violin um and so this is kind of like the har- harmonics you would say of i don't want to get too much into mu- music uh theory here you've already used the phrase open strings and followed it with the word harmonics so <laughs> uh, I don't in get, for a penny in for a pound i guess, I guess so. so anyway uh the harmonic series is essentially what western music's uh harmonies are based upon and that would be our scales our chords which are notes stacked on top of one another the, the point is is that this system is derived based on what are the natural occurring vibrations in essentially any given object but you would say in this case a string uh so you know you have one tone in a string you cut it in half that's an octave you cut it in half again you get like a fifth uh a fourth third minor third major second minor second it goes on uh but these these are the way like strings these are the way things vibrate naturally and i think it's really interesting that the music that we're reintroduced to Connor as when he's finally his immortal self are these kind of open strings, these harmonics, and they're it's 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 a thing that is completely natural. Like this this is how music exists essentially in nature. Like you you could hit 
uh, a, a tree branch and it wouldn't sound very nice because it's very irregular or whatever, but like natural ob objects have this resonance in them. And I think it's, it's an interesting way that this is scored that Connor is scored with like natural sounds. Um, that is interesting. No, I was being sincere. That <laughs> is interesting. Yeah. You're giving me a look when was, I was describing it. Well, that I'm was all. That was a long wind up for that pitch. <laughs> I'm sorry for the for the the the, the, the road trip we just went on. <laughs> but it, yeah, that that's something that would never have occurred to me. I thought it was yeah. interesting. Uh, and also, you could just say it's uh, you know it's an open string on the open strings on the violin. It's like the absolute simplest thing you could ever play. Like you know what I mean? Like it it, it also kind of conveys like a uh, like homeliness, like uh, rustic quality. Yeah, very rustic quality. Like th these aren't necessarily like form things. Like if you mm -hmm. just had a violin, like you could play the opening notes to this theme just by doing nothing. So it's it's got this very simplistic feel to it, um, which lends itself to a lot of kind of like folk music. Like those sort of things are kind of built on. These very simplistic harmonies and stuff. So that's my little musical analysis for that. But also I think you can interpret it as, like I said earlier, that the, the Kurgan is maybe a little mechanical. Maybe Connor is a little more on the natural side, which is evidenced in his music. Especially because the Kurgan's music is all heavy metal, guitar. It's electric guitar. It's not even like, right. you know what I mean? And this is a violin. So Heather says to Connor, you're all muck and muscle. And then they get to mucking and muscling. Absolutely. Yep. And the bones is, yeah, is Connor a two hump chump? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to leave that question there for a second. Oh my God. <laughs> Excuse me. A two stroke joke. Uh, <laughs> so they have like a little picnic. Well, she's like, you can do that to me forever if you want to. But maybe she's really saying, like, you know, you can go more, like, you can go longer, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it doesn't have to last that short. But, uh, but, uh, but, <laughs> but anyway, the afterglow of this whole event is interrupted by a horse. A horse, yeah. Named <laughs> Sean Connery. Yep. Right over. So, yeah, Sean Connery voices a horse in this movie. <laughs> And that's why he was cast in Dragonheart, because he had experience. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Lovely. So yeah, Sean Connery jumps over them on his horse. And and what is Sean Connery's name in this movie? Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Chief metallurgist to who? The King of Spain? King Charles V of Spain. Mm. Although I... I've been, I was trying to find this. I believe this line is actually changed in the international version or director's cut. Hmm. That is, he is not the metallurgist to the King of Spain. I believe in the original theatrical version, he's the metallurgist to the King of England at the time huh. or whoever. He's, it's someone different, and for some reason they changed it. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a very small change, but it was apparently made. Uh, but I thought this was interesting because he is the metallurgist to the King of Spain, and. We have Brenda, who is a expert in metallurgy, and wrote a book with the term metallurgy like in the title. So I was like, "Oh, are these two characters kind of like paralleled together hmm. um, a little bit?" And we'll get into this later. I kind of wish they were a little more. I think the answer is no, but <laughs> right. that is such a striking. I agree. I when agree. Asked, it, what the answer two... is no. Yeah. yeah, but when asked, like, "Hey." Two people have metallurgy in common. That's not like saying like we both like basketball, right. like. So that's uh, when you're allergic to metal. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, they uh, they meet. Connor is clearly feeling ill. Yeah. And he says, "Do as I say, woman." As he yeah. pushes Heather away, it's like mm, go inside. Right. Yeah. 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 So she leaves, and weirdness ensues. 
I guess is the fair to say. Should we play this introduction of Sean Connery? Yeah. All yeah. Right, let's, let's let's play the clip and then we'll talk about it. Smooching. Red flash of light when the horse jumps over. Greetings. I am Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, <laughs> chief metallurgist to King Charles V of Spain, and I'm at your service. Who? What do you want? You. You're Connor McLeod. Weather is instantly changed. You're Connor McLeod, wounded in battle, and driven from your village of Glenfinnan five years ago. Oh, Connor! Hey, go in the house. I'll stay right here. Do as I say, woman. So I just want to point out one difference in the script. Um, Greetings, I am Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, chief metallurgist to King Philip II of Spain. Mm. And he did not say that there. I no. forget the name he said. Say uh, uh, King Charles V of Spain mm. was what. I'm ignorant of my Spanish history, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that's I, just a timeline thing. Like they wanted to, did they get something wrong or? I'm not sure, but I, I'm pretty sure Philip II was like the grand like the grandest king of no like spain at the height of its power like mm. i thought mm. philip ii was the one that like paid for christopher columbus's voyage and almost conquered england well um, that would be earlier than this so maybe they wanted to correct it for the timeline's sake maybe i'm not sure and again i did not pause to research that this is kind of off the cuff mm. so yeah. someone can correct me on that but interesting so, yeah, let's talk about what is going on here. So That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> so Ramirez shows up. Uh, when he does leap over Connor and Heather, there is a flash of light, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. The storm starts brewing. Immediately. Soon, like, they're having a very nice picnic. It's beautiful outside. Yeah. And then it is dark and cloudy right. with lightning and thunder. Also, I'd like to point out in the script, Ramirez walks to their location. He's not on a horse. Mm. That's <laughs> interesting. I don't know. Is it? He's, <laughs> well, he's like com- it sounds a lot better on the horse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's like less dramatic, and right. he's like complaining about how hard the walk is. So uh, it's kind of funny, but that is it's fun. a little less dramatic, right? Well, that that implies that like yeah, he's made a, a long journey here. That he's been doing this for yeah, maybe in the in the sense of this movie, like years, he could have traveled to meet Connor. Yeah, which could be because well, getting anywhere would have taken years. Right. Yeah. Like I have thoughts on this that'll emerge later, but. This man's done a lot of fucking traveling. <laughs> um, uh, he does mention some interesting, like, timeline sort of stuff. He's like, uh, he, he, he gives, like, a synopsis of McLeod. So clearly he knows something about McLeod. Just he knows the way a lot. He, he knows a lot, just the way the Kurgan did. Uh, but he's like, oh, you were driven from Glenfinnan five years ago. And it's like, oh, so how old is McLeod right now? Like, when McLeod got banished, he told his cousin Dougal uh, that he's like, we've been kinsmen for 20 years. So if that was, you know... 20 years, this is five years later. So Connor's approximately 25 years old at this point. Although approximately 20 years old when he gets his immortality. Maybe, unless he's like his cousin by marriage or something like that. Correct. Mm. That's so possible. So who knows? Because also, Nash in the future does not look 20. Yeah. Uh, he is how emphatically... Old you, how how uh, old do you think Christopher Lambert is? Oh, that's a great question. 39, 42? <laughs> Amy, you got a thought? Uh, I, 40, I'd say, like... Right, yeah. he's got a look to him. Twenty nine. What? Yep. 
Wow. That's how old he's supposed to be, or how old Christopher Lambert that is? That is how old Christopher Lambert is. And I believe, according to like the, the, the script and the things laid out in the movie, I think he's supposed to be like mid-20s. If not he, even younger. He's the, an the old they, looking man. Well, I think everyone in the 80s looks older. Like today, everyone looks younger. Shit in the 80s, everyone looks older because people are like tanned. They're like, they're wearing ill-fitting clothing. Smoking. Yeah. His like, voice, I think, adds to it. Like he's got a gravelly voice. Yeah. So he doesn't like, he doesn't sound young. Like if you only heard him do voice work, you would I, think he was older. I buy him as that age in these flashbacks. If, oh, but yeah. That's not how it's. But when I think of him, I think of him as Russell Nash in the future, and yeah. that man looks much older. I would agree. Yeah. I would think like late thirties. You yeah. would think. Uh, yeah. But no, he is. Like Whereas if the whole time he was clean shaven with that hair, and you said he was twenty nine, I yeah. have no trouble buying it. Yeah. Sure. Then probably one of the most puzzling things in this movie happens, which is first off, he teleports away from Ramirez. <laughs> right. <It's> like, <laughs> like he he vanishes and reappears <laughs> yep. on the frontier, at, or horizon was the word I was looking for, and then just. Gets struck by lightning, and Ramirez says, What your feeling is the quickening. And he points at him. (laughs) And then they teleport close together again. Yeah. So, is this a good time to talk about what is the quickening? (laughs) There's a little good a time as any. Yeah. Well, on on TV, Highlander, quickening is you chop off a mortal head, you get the quickening. You take their quickening, as uh, what's his face would say Caleb Cole. Uh, yeah. Get your quickening. Oh, man, my voice worked today. Dougal. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, everyone. But in this, the quickening is, is it just the state of being immortal? No, I think it's... It's like the buzz a little bit, like what we call like the immortal spidey sense all the time. It's like, that seems to be the quick... Like No, no. I don't think so. I think this is a quickening, and what happens when they cut off the head is the quickening. But what's when he gets the buzz? Is that the buzz? Like, is that that's, something different than this? That's not named. At some point, Ramirez says that the sickening, sick. the sickening feeling you got, yeah. that's that. So the buzz is in a different form, but that's not the quickening. Hmm. So why does this happen here? Like, what triggers this? He doesn't kill anyone. He's just, like, informed? Someone telling you you're immortal causes this to happen? I don't understand what this is. I think this is one of those, like, music video sort of things where it's, like, imagery trumps any sort of reason, like, or logic to this. It's, like, this, this does, I think, give you, like, a feeling. Like, with the music and, like, the images are compelling with him, like, reaching to the sky and getting, like, struck by lightning is, like visually cool and arresting yeah. uh but it's like none of this makes any sense like it's like huh <laughs> i just don't understand what is happening and then well, it like reskins potentially what these other things are and then there's also this weird joke that sean connery says later where they're about to hold hands and jump into uh, the river uh, and they're like this is the quickening. <laughs> Let, let's, the quickening let's talk about it more when we when we get some like more info from it like on it from the movie yeah Yeah. but it's fair to say that the natural the state of nature here is confusion (laughs) right definitely and and again this is the first mention of this term i believe right we've not heard quickening mentioned earlier than this no no so but sean connery has a righteous point when he says it yeah (laughs) and it's worth noting that he's also wearing this like insane outfit yeah he has like a peacock feathered cloak that's like flowing and huge it's like it's enormous yeah i I had some notes on this uh 
Actually, less notes and more questions. Why is he dressed like this? So he builds a lot of character. So yeah, we yeah. find out. That I he, like it. I guess. <laughs> I like it too. I was wondering. I don't think Spanish. Is this a Spanish outfit? Maybe the hat is. I don't know. I have no uh, idea. It's got peacock feathers all over it. Like it's it's super flamboyant and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. At one point. Connor calls him you like stupid Spanish peacock. Mm-hmm. I was kind of wondering which came first. Did the, the script call him a peacock as just being like, oh, like using the, the term peacock is like, oh, you're an arrogant jerk, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you strut around or whatever, like you're fully yourself. So we called him a Spanish peacock. Then the costume designer read that and was like, oh, peacock, like let's actually make him look like a little full of himself. And like they dress him in a grandiose way or did it come the other way? And like they dressed him like that. And they were like, oh, like, let's insult him. And they called him a peak. I'm very curious which, like, the chicken or the egg in this scenario. I think the, the first scenario you weighed out is the most likely. That it was written in the script and the costume designer read it and then interpreted that to yeah. be a more real world thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I, like, buy into it. Like, nothing. He I'll, carries it well. Yeah. Oh, he's, sure. He pulls it off. Like, yeah. I'm on board. It's weird, but, like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's a good character. Yeah. And it, it fits him well. Connery acquits himself very well in this role and so then connery uh like kind of connects himself with mcleod like the, mm-hmm. they, they share a bond and what does he say we're brothers <laughs> yes he it's does. awesome <laughs> it's it's it it gives a warm feeling in my heart to hear him say that and it's like you can't help but like him he's like so jovial and he's like he's not like the kurgan where the first time he met mcleod he stabbed him in the gut and tried to chop his head off <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. In that sense, they are different. This is something... <laughs> <laughs> hey, fellow rewatchers. Thanks again for joining us for our third installment of our Highlander Motion Picture Podcast. Join us next week for episode four as we delve even further into Highlander mythology when we talk about New Yorkers eating dogs, B-A-L-A-N-C-E, Ramirez's death, and a lot more. Thanks again for listening. See you next week. We've been your rewatchers, Keith, Kyle, and Eamon. Bye. Scotland again. I would start that whole sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Not just Scotland again. Scotland. Again. Again. That's what the title card says at the bottom. Scotland. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cruising for some ass, Garfield. <laughs>